Greetings, friends. Welcome back, here by the fireside. This is critically acclaimed. Ah, the fire! Ah! Oh, ah! Not, I said b ah. beside the fire, not in it. Oh, God. Let's get our signals crossed. This is a film review podcast where we open the show with really dumb jokes. Uh... <laughs> About sitting in fire. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic and writer of, of some stripe. You write, you write, for, you write for some I, website. I write, that's, that's I write for deal. Slash Film. Yeah. And I'm, I'm rather prolific over there. Whether yeah. or not I'm any good is up for you to decide. Oh my but God, will with you me just as always, speak highly of yourself for once? My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I write for the rap sometimes, but uh, mostly I'm just a film critic and you can call me Bibbs. And uh, this week, uncritically acclaimed, uh, we're reviewing a few films. That's what we do a on this podcast. Thanks, thanks for tuning in. This is our show where we review films. What are we reviewing, William? Uh, you want to just start this podcast over? No, keep going. All right. This, here's how the sausage gets made, folks. <laughs> on some days when we have standards, we delete this. Uh, here's, a, here's what we're reviewing this week. We're reviewing the new Pixar movie, Lightyear. We're reviewing the new Joseph Kaczynski film, Spiderhead. That's the, right, the Top Gun the Maverick o guy. other new Joseph Kaczynski movie. <laughs> We've got the new uh, Sundance hit, Cha-Cha, Real Smooth. And uh, the latest remake of a Spencer Tracy classic, Father of the Bride. Uh, this is the uh, sixth film. Mm, fifth. To, sixth. Sixth. There are six. Uh, if you include this new one, it is the sixth one. I think it's five. It's Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride in 1950. Uh -huh. There was Father's the... Little Dividend in 51. Yeah. There was uh, Father of the Bride in 1991 with uh -huh. Steve Martin. There was Father of the Bride Part Two. Part Two, which was in 95. And then this. Then there was Father of the Bride Part Three ish, which came out in 2020. What? And now there's this one. So that's the what sixth was Father, one. When would Part Three come out? It, it was on the. It, it wasn't released on Netflix. It was released on the Netflix YouTube channel. What? So it was. It was this little distaff sequel that kind of snuck past. But yeah, it, it, it exists. It's what? A thing. I assure you, it's real. What? I. I haven't what? seen it, but I assure it's you, it's okay, real. It, okay. In my defense, it is a short. Okay. It is not a feature. I did not miss a feature film. Well, it still counts. I, I'm not, it's, well, it's even, it says part three in the title. I, it's a kind of... Cast members listen, came listen, back to like, reprise I, their roles. You know what? Hmm. You know what? Yeah. I I will watch this. Okay. Uh, wow, Florence Pugh is in this? <laughs> Florence, like, holy shit! What? I, I uh, Do you want to pause the podcast just so you can watch this short and come back and review it? Maybe Robert De Niro is in this. Robert De Niro's in it too. What the shit? So, no, yeah, it most certainly counts. No, I won't watch this. No, I'm mad at them for hiding this from me. <laughs> Next time, it's put like, it on fucking Netflix proper. I. Uh, it's like when uh, there's announcements here and there as like one of those yeah. things in production. They're uh, they're make, going to make another Legally Blonde film. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reese, Reese Witherspoon, all the headlines. Reese Witherspoon will be back for Legally Blonde three. There was already a Legally Blonde three. Reese was, Witherspoon produced it. She produced it. It was called Legally Blondes. It was directed by Savage Steve Holland of mm -hmm. Better Off Dead fame. And it was about her character's cousins. Yeah, it's canon. It is. It is canonical. And, mm -hmm. and Reese Witherspoon gave her blessing. Yeah, and this was not like something that got like flew under the radar. Like it's actual thing, but nope, we're just going to pretend yeah, that just, didn't that, exist. That didn't happen. Because so the next uh, one is part three. This other yeah. one is the ghost dimension. I, hate, I, guess. I hate it when they do that. Uh, and my only, in my defense, I totally would have said this was like number six if I'd known mm -hmm. three itch existed. Yeah, okay. The Father of the Bride. So that's just uh, me. That's just me not knowing. 
Speaking of weird canonical connections, can we start with Lightyear? <laughs> Please do. And I'm bummed out due to a, a frustrating combination of bad scheduling and having no money. I wasn't able to go see Lightyear, the new Pixar film. I thoroughly will, obviously. Mm. Like, I want to see it. But uh, this is a new film. Now, here's here's the basic premise. And correct me if I'm wrong since you've seen it. Yeah. Andy... The little kid from the Toy Story movies. The one who you know, owns the toys in the Toy Story movies. Y- you know, the cypher who's just sort of a stand-in for generic youth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he had a favorite movie, and apparently we're supposed to give a shit about that, so they made it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Buzz Lightyear is a yeah. popular character in Toy Story. Well, uh, sure is, Bu- yeah. Buzz Lightyear and Woody the Cowboy are the two main yeah. toys. Uh the plot of the first Toy Story from 1995, if you, mm. if you don't uh, don't remember, is uh, Andy, the kid, mm. uh, loves his cowboy toy. It's got like a pull, little pull string. That's Woody. Yeah. And his and he because he is the favorite toy, he's sort of like the chieftain of the toys in the room. Yeah, the grand kind of call, Yeah, he kind of calls the shots. He's the captain. Uh, just by dint of him being the most beloved. Uh-huh. Which is really a mm. shitty cast mm. system if you think about it. I'm loved okay. more, therefore I have power over you. Because they are inanimate objects, I'm okay with this. Fine. Uh, and then, uh, of course, as the kid gets a little older, he becomes more enamored of a plastic spaceman toy. Okay. That is Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz Lightyear begins to supplant Woody in the, the, the young boy's mind. So Yeah, he has a new favorite toy. Uh, what, ca- what, what happened in this kid's life that all of a sudden he's shifting focus? Well, in the original movie, he's just a little kid. He just... Yeah. Loses attention for one thing and yeah. moves on to another thing. We, we've we've all been kids uh, who had like new toys marketed mm. to us, and oh, this is he, my new favorite. Toy. Yeah, yeah. He Man was awesome, but now there are all these GI Joes. Mm. Well, now there are all these mm. Teenage Ninja Turtles. Like, well, I didn't yeah. I didn't stop giving a shit, but for a while I'm playing with the turtles. Damn it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the Lightyear begins with a Chiron uh, in 1995. A little boy named Andy mm. liked Buzz Lightyear because of a movie he saw. Uh huh. And this is the movie that yeah. he saw. So this is a movie sort of out of the, the Toy Story universe. It's not all that difficult to wrap your head around. What what uh, what, what weirds me out of, about that isn't that, okay, look, they made a Buzz Lightyear movie within the Toy Story universe. Easy. Yeah. Easy mm-hmm. to understand. What's weird is that they make a huge point about Andy. As if, <laughs> it, what, what weirds me, and they've been, they, this isn't like trailers and stuff. Oh. And so I'm, I'm, I'm re- I can only speak to the trailers, but... The trailers are like, and the little bits online, they're like showing like Andy's favorite movie. And I'm mm. like, you are dramatically overestimating the emotional investment I have <laughs> in, in, in like an eight year old's favorite movie. In 1995. Like, Lightyear sounds like the kind of movie no, that like someone would invite, like when you were in college, someone would invite you over to their dorm. You haven't seen Lightyear from 1985? You gotta come over and watch it. Then we watch this like old VHS, and that person like sits there watching you watch the Making movie the sure whole you're time. Reacting, like, yeah. you're, you well, like that scene, right? Because that's the best scene. Here, here's the thing. Given that I've seen a lot of, like, reassessment of shit, like, <laughs> Scooby-Doo, the live-action Scooby-Doo movie is Ugh. like, recently had an anniversary, yeah. and people are saying, no, this was, like, a subversive classic. It's actually a really, <laughs> really uh, intelligent movie. No. Like, okay. We... I'm old enough now that I'm mm-hmm. seeing waves of nostalgia for crap I skipped 20 years ago. Yeah. Because I didn't want to see it because I was too old. Well, and also just, I think there's some movies that because, it's not just that they're bad and we've softened on them. Mm. It's uh, they're part of like an ongoing series. So even though they might not be good, we keep revisiting them. 
because to, like to it's, sort of put them in context with the new whatever the new to thing put them is, in context or, or just out of a sense of sort of this sort of collector's mentality this completionism yeah, yeah. I, okay I I may not I don't know, for example Moonraker isn't a very popular Bond movie but there's a lot of people who have seen it multiple times because it's a Bond movie they, yeah I want to see it with all the other yeah. Bond movies so so. On that note, uh, I think we're recording this the day of or the day after the 25th anniversary of when Batman and Robin came out. And I'm seeing people oh just be like, you know, time has been very kind to this film. No. It's actually a kind of a, a wonderful camp masterpiece. No. no. It's it's difficult to get through. It's, it's actually really, really it's badly really photographed. Ugly to look at. The yeah, editing it's... is like clumsy and confused. <laughs> and like, I love camp. I, if this was oh, good golly, camp, yes. I'd be down yeah. for it. It's not good. I appreciate it, like, having fondness for what they were getting at, because really mm. they made something kitschy on purpose. Yeah. They didn't do that by accident. But it doesn't make it good. I don't know. So, uh, the fact that uh, we have to pay really close attention to what an eight-year-old liked in 1995 uh-huh. makes perfect sense to me. Okay, you know what? That's, that's a good <laughs> argument, actually. Because that happens all the time now. You're not wrong, actually. That's a good... You should write an, you should write an editorial about that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, well, Just about how, like, Lightyear is every damn think piece we, we see nowadays. More, more or less. Reassessing and, some movie now, from 1995. The most interesting thing about this movie is that meta-narrative mm. element. Really? And uh, had they run with that, it would have been really interesting. What if they made this look like a kid's science fiction film from 1995? Mm, it would with look like that cinema cinematic uh, look, maybe yeah, the visual yeah. effects, same or... kind of soundtrack. Even if you want to yeah. uh, make it look like like what what's a kid's science fiction film that came out in 1995? Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers came out in 1995. Go. Make yeah. it look like that. Make it look kind yeah. of trashy. That'd be cool. And I've seen that movie. And that movie is also trash. <laughs> that, that movie, that movie stinks. I love. It's not unfun. Uh, there, there's uh, the, there's the act, an entertainment the actor, value. The actor to it. playing the villain is clearly having a great time and, with it, and it's, and it's um, it's the bad guy from Raiders of the Lost uh, Ark too. Yeah. Uh, oh, what, oh, what is, is his name? Uh, the actor who played Belloc. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna drive this. me nuts. Uh, Freeman, I think is his name. I'll uh, look it up. Hang on. But uh, they they don't do unfortunately all of that like meta. Paul Freeman. What Paul Freeman? Paul Freeman. Paul Freeman. All right. Yeah. I was gonna say Sam Freeman. That's somebody yeah. else. Uh, Paul Freeman. Uh, hey, Luca. They don't do anything with that fun meta narrative though. Like this, if this is supposed to be a movie from within the Toy Story universe, maybe they could. And I'm not asking for like linking material or references, mm-hmm. but I'm asking for some kind of awareness of its place mm-hmm. uh, from the filmmakers. You know what would have been amazing hmm. if, uh, if they, like add fake previews ahead of time. Well, that would be great. Cool. Yeah. But you know, oh god, and then you can milk those for a franchise too. It'd be go, like the perfect. Pixar version of Grindhouse. You know what would have been really fun hmm. if uh, so, like the whole thing in uh, uh, Woody the cowboy. To- Hi, Luca. Luca wants to hang out. Yeah. Luca's my cat. Uh, Woody's Roundup. Was the cowboy show that Woody was from? Okay. Okay. Now that's a real show in the Pixar Toy Story universe. Mm. That show had actors in it. What if the voice of Woody, as an old man, uh-huh. was a character in oh, Lightyear playing one of the roles? That, yeah, that See, would have be been and fun, you have, like, right? Fake actors playing the animated roles. That could be neat. They yeah, don't. There's they so don't, much possibility. They don't do any of that. It's just <sighs> straightforward sci-fi movie with Buzz Lightyear as mm. as a human being. Uh, so, uh, and the, it's really kind of pat, straightforward science fiction stuff. Okay. Uh, he is an astronaut for something called Star Command. They do that really insufferable thing where, uh, 
he he's constantly narrating into like a, a wrist recorder, like Captain's Log, which is from the then, cr- which is from the the toy. Yeah. But Buzz Lightyear is actually not a captain yet, so he's called out on like this embarrassing habit he has of narrating to himself. It's just something he likes mm-hmm. to do for comfort, and they all kind of make fun. He's like, "No, I don't do that." And there's uh-huh. I hate that kind of awkward embarrassment humor, especially in kid movies. They yeah. do it all the time, and. Uh, in exploring like, this uh, sort of hostile planet where uh, vines can sort of pull you under the ground, uh, there's like yeah, like living, almost sentient plants that reach up on, mm-hmm. from under the ground. Uh, he's trying to escape. Uh, they almost leave a rookie behind. He exit. He and he is the one piloting a ship. They accidentally crashes, and everybody who's on board the ship, it's like like a colony colony ship full of cryogenically mm-hmm. frozen people, have to get out and essentially start building civilization. Uh, over the course of the next few years, they build up uh, something that will allow them to travel super fast. Uh, Buzz Lightyear tries, fails, but when he returns, four years have passed okay. because of space travel. All right. And then he tries multiple times, so almost 65 years have passed. So a lot of time has passed okay. down on this planet, and he hasn't aged. Well, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of where the adventure proper begins. He finally lands in the future. He's disconnected with everybody. He meets the child of his old captain, who is now a young adult. Yeah. And uh, and now he has to fight a mysterious uh, alien spaceship run by a robot named Zerg, yeah. which is also a character from uh, Buzz Light from Toy Story. I'm sorry, uh, Luca, my cat, wanted, he wanted wants to, to be cradled. Well, he wanted to jump up on my lap, and then, like, I picked him up, and he immediately fell asleep. Oh, so now, oh. I've, so now so I am a living cat. Yeah, this is right. this is my life uh, now. Speaking of cats, there is a robot cat in in Lightyear. Oh, it's probably the best part. Um, it's an intelligent. The cat it, is the best part. It's an intelligent robot cat that speaks English, and uh, when Buzz Lightyear is going on his mission, like sixty years pass. The cat has been working out the calculations. So uh, when he arrives, like sixty years, like oh, I figured out that problem. <laughs> the, <laughs> the cat figured it out. That's cute. All right. And he ends up having to team up with uh, a, a young woman and uh, two ex-cons. One of them is played by Taika Waititi uh, to fight the alien menace. Uh, okay. That's it. Uh, well, that there, doesn't sound there's, bad. There's not a lot of wit or cleverness to this. Apart from that sort of time-lapse thing, they don't really play with it. Once they get into sort of the main time frame of the movie, they just kind of stay there and do that. Well, let me And there's this. nothing clever. Well, I mean, the there's, there's, like, there's a bit of a twist at the end, but it's not an entirely yeah. creative or interesting twist. Well, the idea of playing around with relativity mm. and uh, the idea that to him a very short amount of time passes, but yeah. because he was going at or faster than the speed of light, he comes back and everyone else is aged. There is an element of tragedy to that, of life oh, passing yeah. him yeah. by. Is it, because here's the thing about the better Pixar movies, which is most of them, honestly, at least in terms of their ambitions. Mm. The last three um, that went straight to Disney Plus uh, were better than this. Well, that may be the case, but that's not what I was getting at. But those last right. three are a good example of Pixar movies that are about something significant. Yes. You know, like uh, uh, Soul was about, about mortality, your, isn't it? Well, yeah. it was, about, was about mortality and it was about finding your life's purpose. Uh, it was finding the reason to go on living. Uh, Luca, a little bit more chill, but it's very much a coming-of-age story. It's also mm. the closest Pixar has ever done to talking about queerness in any meaningful way. 
Uh, and well, it, it's subtext. It's subtext, but it's the closest we've they've come. Uh, and then well, turning it, red, except in uh, their queer characters in, in like backgrounds. backgrounds. One, one of the char- one of the supporting characters in this, uh, ha- uh, she has a wife, uh-huh. and she kisses her wife in one scene. We don't even see like their lips touch. It's like uh-huh. her her head leans in front of the other. Is character. it something that could be easily cut? Yeah. Then that doesn't count. No, it totally doesn't count. All right, my point well, was you this. know what? Actually, there's other lines of dialogue uh, talking about her wife. Well, good, but my point is this. Mm. My point is this. Luca, at the very least, was largely about that relationship. Yeah. Uh, and then Turning Red actually had a lot of great things to say about uh, puberty and about mm. uh, multiple generations growing up uh, in a particular cultural background. Uh, these are things that are... They're, they're movies that are not just about their plot. They're about important stuff. Mm. They're about life. What is Lightyear about? Uh, that's that's the frustrating thing. It's not. It's it's You've like got all that relativity yeah. stuff. There's so much. There's so much drama and, there. And there's a few moments of it, but this has that uh, that really kind of modern blockbuster problem where there's way too much incident. They they yeah. depict all of that: the ship crashing, the civilization building, the, the attempts. Yeah. By the time he gets to that tragic tragic bit, mm-hmm. where he realizes a lot of time has passed, we're like 30, 40 minutes into this movie. Yeah, and so. If this is going to be the crux of it, it needs to be the crux of it. It needs to be about him getting used to living in the distant future when you know, life has sort of passed him by and whether or not he's comfortable with that. Now, of course, if you do that, is this the kind of movie that Andy would like? Mm. I think if they had maybe made it more too much like a Pixar movie... Uh-huh. Then it wouldn't have been the type of movie that would have fit into Toy Story. So why, it might why do you be say that? Why, why do you feel like this is? Does Andy have bad taste in movies? Is that what we're arguing? Here? I'm saying like, that a, a little kid who becomes obsessed with toys is going more likely to be obsessed with something like Lightyear than they are with something like Soul. Uh, well, could, okay, could, fair enough. But, can- that, but that's genre. That is necessarily you, you could quality, fill a yeah. canyon with the unsold uh, soul onward and inside out merchandise. Well, I, again, I can appreciate that, but I think that's a matter of genre as much as anything else, yeah. right? There's a, there's a lot of genre movies that don't move toys. Yeah. Uh, but do you feel like based on that, that watching Lightyear, hmm. as is is the sort of thing that Andy would be like this will become my life now this is imp- this is my favorite movie i'm, I'm learning well i'm learning from think pieces about scooby doo mm-hmm. sure oh, fair enough <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to say what a young person is becoming mm-hmm. obsessed with i'm old i'm not connected to my the closest i have is my son and he's not going to watch a movie Okay, I gotta put you down. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I tried putting him down before, and he just went limp. He was like, "I'm not like doing li- it." Liquid cat. Yeah. Um, so it's it it is not it, it's not ambitious. It's really mm-hmm. frustrating that Pixar has been falling back more on more on their older properties, mm-hmm. and when they do do something really sort of creative or interesting, Disney is sort of it's difficult to think. And this is where I'm sort of stepping out and trying to look at it from a business perspective, which I, I hate doing. Well, it's, we're trying but to rationalize yeah, decisions so, that are being made. It doesn't mean we approve. Uh, but what I've been seeing uh, Disney doing with their Pixar product mm. is kind of sidelining it a little bit. And I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with uh, essentially mar- marketability, for better, yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, Lightyear technically because it has this recognizable character mm-hmm. is 
on paper, the more more toyetic thing. It's got True. spaceships. It's got you know space aliens and robots and spacemen. You can make toys out of. And he already was a toy anyway. Uh-huh. Compared so to just make him into a toy again. Co- compared to Soul, definitely. Mm. Compared to Luca, pretty much. Mm. I would buy the hell out of a turning red panda. <laughs> I would if they, if they had like a big squishy one. You if know, like that, a, a, I would buy that. What, what was it? Um, like. What? The the boy bands, like f- Forever. Oh, no, it was like, um, um four, was it Four Town? Four Town. Uh, if yeah. they put out, like, a fake Four Town record, I would buy that. Yeah, I would That'd totally buy that. That'd be great. Uh, like, uh, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, they actually had all those songs in the movie. They'd have to come up yeah. with, like, all these new songs. But why not? Have, a like, a, a little EP. The, yeah. The Four Town EP. It's like five, I would five tracks. Whatever. Like, seriously, it's, it's from it's, 2002. You put so, it on CD anyway. It's so easy. Like, I, I, I say this knowing that I couldn't do it, mm. but, like, we're, we're just asking for generic studio hits from, like, the 2000s. I mm. guarantee you someone's got, like, a, 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 a file cabinet full <laughs> of sheet music oh. for rejected NSYNC songs that there are good go. enough. <laughs> To be a four-town record, you know? Like, come on, just whip them out. What the hell? They, they hired the singers to play those four-town Bernard characters. Herman allegedly wrote an entire opera for Citizen Kane. We hear it for about one minute. But he wrote the whole opera. Yeah, yeah. You can write a four-town record. Yeah, you're gonna <laughs> you, fi- get, you can write Get five, that shit towns. done. What are you doing? I, uh, this is off topic, but I have a cassette that they put out in promotion of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Mm. Uh, it was a tie-in with Dairy Queen. And, uh... What? You could go to Dairy Queen and you could get a cassette. Evidently, these things aren't too... Co- There's like yeah. 10,000, which is like a low run as far as yeah. these sorts of things go. And uh, if you listened all the way to the end, they would say at the very end, like, this is a winner and you win a million dollars. Or for oh. the most part, this is not a winning cassette. But thanks for listening. Yeah. The songs are all about Dairy Queen problems. <laughs> <laughs> It's like they oh try, my to, God, that's they try to make it sound are they like parodies of real songs. No, or are they're, they they're just like, like they try to make it sound like vague '80s rock instrumentals. Oh my God! Like we're gonna sing about a cookie and a brownie. They call it a brookie. <laughs> got a Dairy Queen. It's it's a real thing. <laughs> oh my God! I really want to hear this now. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's. I'm, sure, I'm sure someone's uploaded it to YouTube by now. But you can like, probably listen to it yeah, on YouTube. God, but I actually have the cassette. And I listened to it on my cassette. Was player. it a winner? No, it was not a win. Ah. If I had won a million dollars, you would have You've heard You've been keeping this for me this whole time? We've been working on, on this laptop this whole time? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, would have bought us a studio. Or you've you been like just living in your apartment this whole time just well, to fool me? I could get a million dollars or a lifetime supply of Dairy Queen. Ooh, well, so, you chose wisely. Yeah, Is that so. You'll never go hungry. <laughs> Except you never, will, because where's there a Dairy was, Queen around I was going to say I'll never be healthy either. Um... Uh, allegedly, uh, no, no, allegedly. no, no, no slag. I'm trying to take the, yeah, the so curse sure off of my slag on Derek. I'm, I'm sure a giant um, bowl full of ice cream and Oreos is exactly what you need mm. to, to be to grow up big and strong. You say you need 2,000 calories a day. I get it in one meal. It's great. Uh, but no um, chewing required. <laughs> Lightyear ultimately is. As I say, hmm. quite disappointing. Okay. There's all of this potential to do this weird, uh, like, sort of hmm. meta narrative because that's the only thing it really has going for it, hmm. and they chose to do the l- least ambitious thing possible. Is uh, it? And I've hmm. I've complained about this before how Pixar and and Disney are almost crossing paths in terms yeah. of their creativity. I remember yeah. when Brave came out, how that felt sort of like kind of a generic fantasy comedy adventure. It, it felt it felt a little bit more akin to what they were doing with stuff like Tangled. 
Yeah, like then, it, it was. Yeah. It was a little bit sort of like winky. There were mm-hmm. uh, there's a witch in that movie, and there's like a, a answering machine joke with yeah. the witch. That's I, that's I a like, Disney kind of. Joke. I like that movie, but it did not feel like a, the Pixar film of that. Exactly, era. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't feel like clever or interesting in any kind of it's way. It's kind of clever, but it's uh, not super. They started clever. making a lot of sequels to their stuff. A lot of yeah. those sequels I like. I like Monsters U. That's uh, great. I, th- I think Cars Three is actually pretty good. Agreed. Um, but yeah, it's it's like they they've just been running on fumes for a long time, and then they finally came out with a, a few really good ones. Because mm-hmm. I I like Onward. I know you like it more than I. I, I you weren't a big fan. It's okay. Yeah. I just didn't really grab me, but uh, yeah, the, it's fine. The, the big realization at the end about sort of his relationship with his brother, I think, was actually very. Tender. I think that's I think that's uh, the kind of revelation that's gonna mean more depending on the relationship you have, like with your siblings. Uh, yeah, I think I, so. it's gonna hit some people really really hard, and for me, I'm like I get it. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's it didn't really bring me in, but it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah, I, don't, I don't dislike it. Yeah, um, great opportunity to make the main character queer in that one, but they didn't. Nah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, and then they also did Soul, which not a film I love, but I yeah. think it's creative. They at least are you it, know in, envisioning a different version of the afterlife. I, I love the vision of the afterlife. I think it's very creative. Mm. Um, I don't think the story actually works all that well. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely it, it's not a. Bad movie. It was yeah, all that. Yeah. Soul's okay, uh, but I yeah. I did really like Luca, and Luke I really like nice. Turning Red. Turning and, Red rules. And uh, so it's like, yeah, we're kind of sort of bringing it around. We're making it a little bit more character. We're trying to be a little bit more clever about yeah. the premise, like sea monsters mm-hmm. in Italy want a Vespa. That's a story I haven't seen before. I have not seen that so, before. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I've seen Turning Red is like a riff on a movie like Teen Wolf. Oh yeah, that's been but, done, but it's still it's been, I but it's think done it's, very it, stylishly with a lot of character I, and, and earnestness. I, I, I can't think of a of a better version of it. Maybe hmm. equally as good, but I can't think of a better version. I mean, I like Turning Red better than I like Teen Wolf. Oh, so Teen Wolf, Teen, Teen, Teen Wolf is not, not a particularly good, good yeah. movie. No, but like there are other good hmm. versions of that. Yeah, uh, um, and then then they yeah. come back to to theaters, and we're sort of back into yeah. resting on our laurels. Is, is we're going to do bad a light timing year. though. I mean, like mm-hmm. this is just this happens to be the next one that comes out. Look, I, I'm not a marketer. I don't know what order they put these in. I don't yeah. know how they planned it. Uh, well, all I know is that this is the first big theatrical release, and uh, it's also their least interesting in a long time. Well, it doesn't seem to be doing terribly like well. Like, the, the first think. big one. Like, Onward was released theatrically. It was, but it was the uh, last it, it was week right, the, before the pandemic. It was right before pandemic, people so were already lost staying, a lot of money. Theaters weren't closed down yet, but people were already staying away in droves. Like, it yeah, was just okay. bad timing. So yeah, Onward yeah. lost a lot of money because of that, and also nobody wants to buy the Onward stuff. Uh, who who yeah. wants a toy pair of pants that your dad is wearing? <laughs> okay, you know what? I would actually buy those pants. You can get those. <laughs> I would buy the yeah. pants if I had the you pants. Can get, you can get an action figure of just the pants. I would. I, or, I would. I, I guess they put like a fake torso, so it's that. But oh, uh, yeah. I wouldn't want that. You don't want the, the one, <laughs> I just want the pants. The pants. The torso. Okay. I just want the pants. I don't want the torso. The, the joke in Onward is they they want to resurrect uh, the two main characters want to resurrect their dead father and they live yeah. in a world where magic is real and yeah. uh, and they do it but the spell is a little bit awry so they can only re- resurrect him from his feet up to his waist yeah. and the top half of him is missing so they have it, their father's legs like yeah. disembodied legs and they have like around with twenty four hours to finish the spell so they can spend the rest of those twenty four hours with their father or mm. else they'll only get to spend time with his legs mm. I appreciate how weird that is. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun bit of weirdness. Um, my last question about Lightyear, uh-huh. and this is just something that I feel like the marketing was trying to push this, because obviously Turning Red is marketed to- towards and about kids. Same mm-hmm. thing with Luca. Soul, not so much. Uh, Lightyear, it felt like a lot of the marketing for Lightyear, a lot of the trailers for Lightyear, we're trying to sell mm-hmm. this as this is a serious 
sci-fi summer movie. Yeah. You know, they had that really nice uh, uh, epic rendition of David Bowie's Starman, which is remixed a bit. And yeah, I, I, I didn't see any previous it sold movies, it. It yeah. sold it really well and made it feel really epic. All right. I, it maybe didn't sell the concept, but the tone was, yeah. this is not Pixar for kids. This is a PG-13, you know, mm. action sci-fi movie that just happens to be animated. Mm. On Does it feel like that or does it feel like a kid's movie? It... it... Because it's so unsophisticated, it feels like a kid's movie. That's unfortunate. Uh, in design, it looks like, you know... I mean, it just looks like any sort of, like, crafting space-bound mm. video game you might play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Had this been, like, a proper space opera, which there's been a Buzz Lightyear uh, animated series. Yes, there is. Uh, Quite a long Patrick one. Patrick Warburton yeah. played yeah. Buzz Lightyear in that one. And that is an expansive space opera. It's about tripping from ship to ship and a whole cast of aliens and what Buzz Lightyear does as part of this Star Command, which yeah. is Starfleet. It's Star Trek. It's, I, I, it's, I, I, I saw like one the, the episode It's any number so of things. Remember, yeah. uh, and that actually had sort of a broader scope of mythology mm-hmm. than something like Lightyear, which doesn't really let us know the broader place Star Command mm-hmm. uh plays the year it takes place is this speculative like star trek is this alternate galaxy like star wars and it looks like they weren't really thinking of any of that they just wanted to do a space adventure with buzz lightyear Hmm. they weren't thinking big no and that hurts the movie uh i it its ambitions are so low that it becomes less too uninteresting well speaking of not really thinking big let's talk about spiderhead well, Spiderhead. Uh, okay, Spiderhead is uh, the other big film from director Joseph Kosinski, who has a big hit in theaters right now mm. uh, called Top Gun Maverick, which is actually still doing better at the box office than Lightyear. That's been the big news this yeah. week. Yeah, it's and you know what? It's quite good. It's 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 a well made film, and I actually like most of Joseph Kosinski's work. Uh, he did Tron Legacy, uh, which, which, which is if uh, I think it's entertainingly trippy. I think it's better than the original. A bit of a low bar, but I was about to say though, neither is great. Uh, I, yeah. I like I like the visual, uh, mm-hmm. the visual in that first Tron. Mm-hmm. They spent so much money trying to get that look, uh-huh. and it looks cheap as yeah. I it's know just, it looks really really awful, but I kind of like how shabby yeah. yet also expensive it looks. Like it has this really bizarre look to it. Yeah, like, uh, uh, and he, then uh, he also did Oblivion with Tom Cruise, which uh, is a sci-fi film. I kind of like. I, I think uh, it's a little derivative, but it's okay. He did a pretty good uh, biopic called Only the Brave, which is about a heroic uh, firefighters starring uh, Josh Brolin and Miles Teller. I, I, I kind of came and one. went. Like there was a brief moment where people thought it would have Oscar buzz, and it just didn't. Oh, okay. um, it's good. It's well made, and uh, and then yeah, Top Gun Maverick yeah, is think, kind of a big uh, deal. Joseph Kosinski is now proven with something like Tron. He's making sequels like Tron and Top Gun, and yeah. uh, now with Spiderhead, he's really proving that uh, he is a, a certain kind of very well polished director. Um, mm. Oblivion is really tightly structured, yeah. and I think Spiderhead has a lot of slickness to it. It actually has really great production design. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's attracted a really good cast. He's working with Miles Teller again uh, because Miles Teller wasn't only the Brave; it was also in Top Gun. Yep. And uh, here he's making a trippy kind of science fiction prison movie, which wouldn't have felt too out of place in the seventies. I was thinking that the entire time. This definitely feels like 
a 1970s sci-fi film back in the days where uh, we would use a lot more stark aesthetics mm. and a lot more big ideas in exchange for not having like big set pieces. Yeah. So like this is the kind of film you would get for uh, something like uh, Silent Running, mm. THX 113A. Like Run, maybe. Um, yeah, exactly. It definitely, I, and, uh, it, it definitely feels like you watch a lot of 70s sci-fi yeah. in order to get this film. And uh, so Miles Teller is a prisoner in, uh, in this really posh medical facility yeah. on, on this, like, pier out the, on an island somewhere. Yeah, it turns out that there's a lot of prisoners who have uh, uh, volunteered mm. to be part of a medical study, presumably to... To meet their sentence. To meet their sentence. Yeah. And the medical study is being run by Chris Hemsworth, who mm. plays uh, a scientist who is testing a new series of drugs that have very pronounced impacts. They can yeah, make mood you. Mood altering drugs. Yeah, mostly things like uh, they could make you immediately fall in lust with somebody, or mm. they'll make you full of rage, or they'll make you terrified of the very first thing that you see. Mm. And Miles Teller and uh, Janae Smollett and a bunch of other people are engaged in all of these experiments, but Miles Teller begins to suspect that these experiments have more sinister overtones mm -hmm. and that Chris Hemsworth is not to be trusted. even Because yeah. he, he makes it seem like, hey, listen, I, I took you out of real prison and got you into this place, which is... Almost like a dorm. Like we yeah, have snacks. Like you're allowed to kind of, really, really nice kind of wander free. Uh, he has an open door policy, so people yeah. can just sort of come and go in his office. There's, yeah. and uh, and I was reminded of that bit in the Silence of the Lambs. Like and every once every month, you can walk on the beach. You can swim in the ocean under SWAT team surveillance, of course. Yeah. yeah so they can go out for a walk out in nature, but there's like guards with guns right behind them. Do, do you remember the name of the island? Plum was, Island. It's Plum a, Island. It's a real place. Um, Anthrax Island. Yeah, it's, it was it was actually a disease research facility yeah. is that yeah. you yeah that was me yeah that was, that was good, good. <laughs> so pissed about it too like, damn it that was the thing that got me um so uh I, I will say this they do eventually reveal what sort of the sinister plot is that uh, yeah. chris hemsworth might be up to yeah and it's a little underwhelming it's spectacularly uh, underwhelming uh, because it, it's there, there isn't a lot of energy given to sort of the broader scope as to what he's doing out in the outer world with this stuff, yeah. what he intends to do. Had they revealed that earlier on, had it been bigger, that would have been like a better script. What this movie does instead is a lot of character stuff. There's a lot mm. of interplay between the Miles Teller and uh, Chris Hemsworth characters, and yeah. a lot of conversations they have about how they don't really trust each other and how they have just very different outlooks on life. Yeah. So some of their conversations, even if they're not have nothing to do with the plot or like character building moments, they are character building moments. And I'll say this: this is Chris Hemsworth's best performance. You really think so? He is great in this. I, I think he has don't this. Know if I'm with you on that. He has this wonderful like flip sinisterness that you read and you understand why he's charming you mm -hmm. understand why everybody goes along with what he does but you also understand that he's up to no good yeah uh, I appreciate that there is a line of dialogue that addresses how handsome he is yeah he, there <laughs> like, is a bit where he's talking about how like yeah like pretty people tend to have a kind of an e kind of easy and yeah. he like, turns him out and it's like hey and I've me too <laughs> yeah. I've had it way too easy yeah he's like look at me and, and, yeah. and he's like he's wearing these like shirts that show off his gigantic yeah. biceps constantly working out uh, like um, yeah. he he uh is going to be in another thor movie he plays yeah. thor and uh 
when you play a superhero, you have to get in like fighting shape yeah, to yeah, really buff. bulk bulk up for those movies. Yeah. So I'm guessing he was already bulked up for Thor. I, I think that's uh, just where you're at when you play Thor. You have yeah. to like play characters who look that way. Hmm. I kind of wish because he's this fucking god. Who cares? Like if he has actual muscles, like I wish we had just let him stay a little plump like he was well, at here, the end of Endgame. Here's like what I, I liked having a superhero that looked I, like a person. I have always hated in superhero movies and stories where they're shown working out like they have to maintain their physique no the fantasy is you don't yeah the fantasy is you just have the physique and you don't have to try with it it's like what what is what is lifting gonna do make you even stronger still i I don't mind it when batman does it because batman's a guy batman's just regular but superman superman's or or like yeah it's like when like wonder woman we're gonna have games it's like no you should always you should just be naturally expert in all yeah, this I stuff because you're a superhero i'm not sure uh, i agree with you that chris this is chris a great chris hemsworth performance i uh, like him in it i think he's really great i, I think I, he's like delving into a lot of pathos there's a wonderful scene mm. with him and miles teller where they are um they're taking sort of like a laughing gas mm-hmm. drug they have these little uh like packs on their lower spines it's, it's cronenbergian if cronenberg didn't want them to look like flesh like it just looks yeah, like an ipod and that's in their bag yeah so it's it's really kind of sl- it's more kosinski that's his yeah. thing he likes sort of slick machines uh and yeah they have like these colorful little vials that they insert into these things uh, I, I looks like ca- otter pops like little kind of tiny otter pops and there's one of them is like a, it's like a laughing drug yeah. it like just makes you really I think like, they call it laffodil something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have expected them to call it Gleemanex from the, the Kids in the Hall movie. <laughs> I was thinking uh, about Kids in the Hall. The Kids in the Hall movie, if you've never seen it, is mm-hmm. all about the creation of the ultimate antidepressant, oh. which makes people like super duper happy all the time. Like, like to, to a distracted degree, and eventually they fall into like these bliss comas. Yeah, and, like it becomes apocalyptic. The, 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 yeah, the, the ethics of that. Um, but uh, there's the, this wonderful scene where uh, he and Miles Teller are just sort of hanging out in his office, like his yeah. fancy home. And they're just sort of blissing out on this, like, Laffodil. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, it's not even going to work. Share with me the worst, your worst memory. Yeah. And they get to share these really harrowing things that happen to them mm-hmm. while they're laughing. And I think... That's, that was a good the, the way they sell it and the way they bond in this mm-hmm. really fake kind of way, I think, is a really great scene. Here, here's why I'm not as high on his performance as you are, which I think is a charismatic performance. Oh. And I think he gets that part really well. He gets that part of the villain who wants to be your friend. Yeah. You know, like the person who is manipulating you because they are trying to make you convinced that they are your friend and they owe you one. And we've all met people like that. Not necessarily this cartoonishly evil, but we've all. But but here's where I think he doesn't deliver. Hmm. He's playing a mad scientist. He's playing a super genius. And at no point when I'm watching this, do I get the distinct impression that he's thinking the variables out that he's actually (laughs) consciously thinking i get that he if he was the spokesperson of whatever company he works for yes perfect he's awesome he's nailing it but the fact that he's also supposed to be kind of like i don't know lex luthor or something Mm. or 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 whatever he's not i don't get that like twinkle in the eye of great intelligence not Mm. not that i think he's not smart Mm. but i don't think i get from him the idea that he is so ingenious and so hyper focused that he would come up with this as grand a scheme and the kind of technology that we have 
in this movie that never really fully tracks for me. Yeah, I'm, so I'm I, not 100% I'm, convinced. I like him in it, well, but I feel like he's a little... You know what I was thinking of when I was like watching this? Like, you know, I, when I was watching this movie, which again, which again, it's very stark, it's very insular, mm. it's all... It, it's it's amazing like how expensive these Netflix movies are because it's actually a pretty modest movie in a lot of ways. Well, Most of it takes place really in great, really great production design. It does, and, but it's not gigantic. It's mm. actually very, very reasonable. There's definitely... A ten million dollar version of this movie you yeah. could have easily done on like an ex machina or a cube budget, but regardless, I was thinking about like if this movie were made in the seventies, mm. who would star in it? And I was like, you know, who would be the Chris like, Hemsworth role? Olivier, maybe. <laughs> I was thinking Oliver Reed. Oh, there you go, Oliver Reed. But either way, know. Olivier, Oliver Reed, these are people who are you see them constantly scheming, mm. and I don't see it that from him. He doesn't something like intelligence. He, he doesn't. Projects well, sinister I, intelligence. He just projects I, sinisterness, which is not the same thing. Well, I, I think, though, that he is reminiscent. They're clearly modeling him off of an Elon Musk type, a Steve Jobs type, uh-huh. a, a, like one of those like modern, te- like young, hip tech billionaires. Yeah. So, you know, Oliver Reed doesn't play roles like that. Yeah. So he is obsessed with image he likes the way everything looks uh-huh. everything's really sort of slick and expensive to the point where you can tell he's distracted by sort of surface level stuff here's here's so what, i think it plays fine with the character it, it's not it plays bad. totally fair it's not bad but here's yeah. here's what else here's, i was just thinking about this you're bringing up you know basing him off of modern tech giants and i was thinking about another movie very recent movie that did a character very much the same way and that's campbell scott in jurassic world dominion <laughs> and right, I, yeah. I know i know but like no, let's I, be honest get, here let's be honest here though, yeah. campbell scott uh-huh. exudes that hyper focused mad genius quality okay and i kind of honestly think if you switched actors <laughs> and put Campbell Scott in Spiderhead and Chris Hemsworth in Dominion, which is a much more I am coasting on charm kind of bad guy. Okay. I actually think the movies would be better. <laughs> There's they are similar characters. The comparison yeah. is fair. Um, Here's, but I I, yeah. I just I, I feel like he's because re- he produced this as well. This is clearly sure. something he was really yeah. passionate about. And I'm not um, I'm not telling him he shouldn't have done it. I'll, I just think he's I'll say this. Uh, the best role this is the first time I've seen him play an American, and I think he does that really well. Is this um, the first time you've seen him? Did you see? Um, I don't know. Oh, actually, I've seen him play like. Uh, I think he's played English characters uh, yeah. and, I'm trying and to remember a, a, was, a Norwegian character, technically. I'm trying to remember uh, if, if he played an American in the reboot of Vacation. I think it was a, I think it was an Australian character. In that was one. he was he Australian in Ghostbusters? He had a, yeah, yeah. Okay, then I just don't remember. He, yeah, it was Australian in Ghostbusters maybe, maybe. as well. All right. He was very funny in Ghostbusters. He was. He's hilarious in Ghostbusters. I think he's a very funny actor. Oh, no, he's, he's great. Yeah. And I feel like he's... He's waiting for that like Brad Pitt breakthrough moment where yeah. he gets to do like like a more interesting character role. I think he needs to have someone write something around his strength. Well, that's what this was supposed to be. I, I'm this wasn't written for a strength. This was written by actually we've talked to them before. Uh, yeah. uh, Rhett Reese Rhett and, Reese uh, and uh, Paul Wernick. Paul Wernick. Um, yeah, Rhett Reese actually came on our Patreon once mm-hmm. to do a, a podcast about Lonesome Dove, which is he that's was right. a huge fan of. And, and we got to interview yeah. him, uh, them both because they wrote uh, the Deadpool movies. Yeah, as well. yeah. Uh, so uh, this is them you know, sort of riffing, I think, on a lot of that sort of 70s sci-fi stuff. Oh, and, and this is something that uh, Chris Hemsworth was passionate about enough mm-hmm. to produce. And I do think he's actually hitting all the right notes with this character. Yeah, I you think like he's, him more than I do. Because he's clearly not the one masterminding it. He is trying to sell this product. He he is a pitch man. So we get that 
even that's though he's not the one. Really, I don't think the, the end of the movie really justifies that. It really does feel no, like that's, it's, it's his all bit. it's all covered in dialogue. He, he says he's, that he's going to sell this. He's going to make a lot of money. Well, off of course of he is, but he's still mm. the one masterminding it. It's not mm. like he's only selling it. He also no, made but it. That, that's that's sort of that. That's not the same thing. It's sort of like the, the the hustle culture version of this. I'm going to invent this thing so I can sell it. I just want to be mm. even richer than I am. Fair enough. But he still had to be the kind of person who could make it as well. And this mm. is not easy stuff. I'm, I don't know that. It just comes okay. easy to him. Maybe. Uh, here, here's, that, here's that sort a, of rock and roll scientist is a thing. Here, you know, here, look at like yeah. Adrian Brody in Splice. Here's why. Or, or, well, or heck, even Matt Damon in any Matt Damon movie. I know, I know, uh, I know. But here, well, Matt Damon doesn't usually play a mad scientist. Well, but no, anyway, but here's, he, here's... He plays intelligent characters a lot. Here's what, for me, we, we focus way more on Chris Hemsworth than I thought we would. Here's, for me, the actual thing holding this movie back. Because I like the general premise... I like the overall aesthetic, um, and I, I like the cast, even though I think Chris Hemsworth is maybe not 100% right for it, but I do like him in it. This movie, and I, and I can't go into great detail without giving away what happens in it, Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's a sci-fi movie about, like, mood-altering experiments. Um, it's a movie that has a theme, you know? Like most movies. <laughs> they are but about, it is about something. It's about yeah. something. But I kept, I'm waiting for the movie to fully reveal what it's about. Hmm. Because obviously Chris Hemsworth is hiding stuff. Some of the stuff he's hiding that like Miles Teller sees like a, th- this is a little thing. In fact, they allude to it earlier. But um, Miles Teller finds out that like, oh my God, he's, he's naming all the drugs after pieces on a bingo card. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's not evil mm. that's not even that's, you gotta name him after something who gives a shit what he names it that doesn't mean anything why are we that's, making that into a big deal like uh, that is is a not an interesting plot point that's like, my point it's like they're making a big deal out of this weird thing the, and so what, i'm waiting to see what about, is important what was what Wait. was significant about that is there was like there's like a, a, a spot that uh, was oh, unfulfilled. I realize that, but the 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 main he makes a big deal out of, it, and he's naming it after a bingo card. Like he's, he's focusing on that, yeah, as if that is somehow meaningful and not like you know. Usually, when they make drugs, they like have like random names assigned to them. There's actually like a list of just generic drug names. They don't necessarily mean anything. Mm. But in any case, I'm watching this movie. I'm waiting for it to like to blossom like a flower to reveal mm. what it's really about. And I realize that what I'm waiting for really. Is because this is kind of a dystopian kind of thing. It's about yeah. uh, you know uh, uh, prisons that are being used as uh, for-profit mm-hmm. uh, guinea pig experiments. This is about uh, control. This is about all these kinds of things. Uh, I'm waiting to find out what the movie is mad at. What's what's your point? Why did you feel the need to make this? Like what's what are you trying to get at? Like Ex mm-hmm. Machina is about misogyny. What is this about? Mm-hmm. And what it is about is ultimately rather generic. And not mm. very interesting, and I feel like they're not actually getting at anything that is truly inherent to the premise of the text. I feel like what they're actually getting at is really straightforward and just sort of uh, like, hey, you know what's cool? Not being controlled by drugs. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really know if I needed well, Spiderhead for that. I, I, I feel like I wanted mm. to know mm. what this movie's like morals were and what their yeah. ethos was like what is it about society that you feel that this is makes this story relevant mm. and ultimately what it feels like is this is just a very insular story about this uh, experiment and yeah, it doesn't really it, connect to a lot and that makes it feel 
way smaller than it needs to. What I connected to on this movie, and the reason why I think I... I Again, this I think that the, the, the script has a lot of issues. I think yeah. the, the big reveals aren't as big as they ought to be. Yeah. I feel like there could have been a lot more exploration as to the significance of the big uh, revelation. Exactly my point. I, th- I want to know more about... But what, yeah. I, what I'm getting out of this movie, what it's about, is anti-entrepreneurship. Uh, this idea that yeah. we've been sold for the last... Uh, like 20 years and this is something Mm -hmm. that's been sold to millennials this false bill of goods Uh that you can work hard and you can take over an industry Mm -hmm. you can be the one to shake it up you can be uh and you you can be an ethical billionaire you can be yeah that's that's the the lie isn't it you can be the ethical billionaire and you'll notice a lot of the language especially going back to like the the mid to late 2000s was not about entering the marketplace it was always about uh like shaking it up you're going to be yeah. you're going to redefine it you're going to uh, subvert everything you're going to be the one who uh, yeah. emerges from outside the box all of that kind of language yeah and that it created this whole new fire festival related yeah. uh breed of sort of very flashy uh, self-driven mm-hmm. self-obsessed kind of entrepreneurs yeah. that are kind of selling a false bill of goods. We, they we might had, have actually been good at something we, along the way. We had an entire generation of Lex Luthor Exactly. Yeah. So this is uh, just another one of, this is sort of like a reaction to that. This is a yeah. science fiction movie that says, hey, I can be this entrepreneurial billionaire. And you know what? On paper, he's handsome. He looks like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Uh, he's got huge biceps. He's very, very rich. He has these miraculous talents that could actually do good in the world and he's only doing it to just sort of like dick around because he's not a very thoughtful person. Right. I think uh, I, I saw a documentary about mm. uh, the founder of uh, American Apparel, for instance. Oh, yeah, I saw that That's, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I saw it on Quibi. And uh, <laughs> I think it's on Roku now, so you can actually watch it. Uh, it's called... Um, um, I forget. Wolf Man, or Wolf something. <laughs> I, I forgot uh, the title of the, the, okay, the, the American Apparel movie. Um uh, but uh, yeah, it was about how he had this big one. rad wolf. Big rad wolf, that was it. Yeah, uh, watch Big Red Wolf. I actually like that documentary, and it's a, a very interesting uh, snapshot as to what was going on in like marketing in like the yeah. late two thousands. Um, you know, sort of where I think where a lot of Spiderhead is coming from, uh, because he did have this interesting idea. He was able to sell mm-hmm. like T shirts and get you know he was actually trying to produce these things really ethically, mm-hmm. uh, sweatshop free. That was one of the big selling points of American right. Apparel. I was all produced in L.A., uh, and you know, all, all of the workers were paid really well, and the guy who founded it was actually a, a champion for workers' rights, and he would like go on picket lines and mm-hmm. stuff and make sure his workers were treated well. He was also uh, brought to court for a lot of sexual crimes, mm-hmm. so he wasn't a great guy uh, in that no. regard. Uh, so, uh, But the, the whole point is, everybody who was working for our American Apparel in its heyday saw this wild guy who was doing all these unethical things, mm. and ethical and unethical things. Yeah. And they weren't being paid really well. They were working 23 hours a day. They were sleeping mm. under their desks because they thought they could be part of something really exciting. Yeah. And I feel we're like... They're going to follow this person and a cult of personality exactly. and they're going to take over the world. Yeah. That's what I, I'm getting out of Spiderhead. Mm. It's about this guy mm-hmm. who uh, has sort of bought into that image that he that's what he wants mm. to be. He wants to be this titan of industry, but... He doesn't have an idea. He's really good at something, and he's not applying it in any kind of meaningful way. Here's, he's doing it for his own gratification. I see where you're coming yeah. from, but here's... I, I Okay, so you're saying it's about this billionaire, and... It, here's it's, about, my, it's about false billionaire cultures. Well, and, here, and here's my issue with that. Uh-huh. 
it's not about him. It's about Miles Teller. And Miles Teller's story is about a guy who's incarcerated for doing something which isn't revealed specifically what it was until later. Something very sad in his past. And it's about him and Jernay Smollett uh, like overcoming these tragedies in their past. And those don't really connect a lot. Hmm. To Chris Hemsworth, and in fact, mm, we don't even—I don't even think we see no, them. No issues with that whatsoever. I, but I think it, I think it uh, uh, betrays the focus, and I think when the focus is not on this character, then it's really hard to say that that character is the movie's focus, and mm. this is what the movie is really about. And as a result, I find it kind of muddled and bifurcated. Well, we, I mean, we have to have a human character to look at this asshole. I understand <laughs> that, but that—but I think I ultimately, it, yeah, it could have been about the asshole. But I think you know, we're giving a little bit more of a critical eye by seeing him. Mm. From I appreciate that, but I also think that when you come right down to it, it doesn't feel like what the movie is really obsessed with or concerned about for most of it. And even mm. like the final like voiceover monologue doesn't even mention him. Like I don't think it's really about that. I think it's in there, but that's kind of my point. Is I kind of think it's a little muddled, and I don't think they really made this with a major thematic purpose. I think it's all just sort of thrown into the mix and you can get that what you got out of it. Sure. But I actually think if the movie were more intensified and was more like directly, Hmm. like unafraid to directly be about what it is about. Like they actually like really approach it and not just through this like lens of what's going on in this spider head prison, but actually, by the way, the title means nothing. It's just the name of a room. Uh, But like, if it was actually like you, you said it yourself, if it actually saw how this connected to the outside world more, it would be stronger. Yeah. And I think it would also that, be more issue, and I think yeah. it would be more focused because then we would see like what's this really, really about. I, I think And uh, I don't think it's I just I'm don't seeing, I find it I find it just like kind of like this feels like a great thirty minute short that well, maybe didn't seeing, need to be a feature. I'm, like it just feels like we don't have that much content for it. I'm seeing a lot of parallels here between uh this film and the conversation you and I had mm. uh, about Oblivion. Uh, which yeah. is an, another film that has sort of a Twilight Zone premise, um, yeah. where and there's going there's, there's a definitely twist. a mystery. And it's there's pretty like, obvious a, that there's a, there is a mystery. Again, what it probably is there's a mystery. You kind of figure out what it is. It's something I've seen in science fiction movies yeah. before. You're waiting but for I, the protagonist to catch I, uh, up. I I like this the style of that movie so much mm. that I was okay with sort of a, a little bit of a simple story in, in that case. Yeah, um, and you could say the same thing about Top Gun. There's nothing going on in that movie. Not especially, no. Slick as fuck. It's very it's, slick. It's it's incredibly entertaining. Well, that, this is uh, kind of what I'm getting but, at. I feel uh, like Joseph Kaczynski so is not a very character-driven hmm. director in a lot of ways. But he's very like technical-driven He's director. very technical, and I feel like he is creating uh, movies that are so tightly locked together that mm. he's not really bothering to delve into the script too deeply. Yeah. And... There are cases in which you can forgive that. Uh, I, I could do it with Oblivion. I can do it with Spiderhead. Uh-huh. Uh, Top Gun, less so. I think everybody else can do it better with Top Gun than yeah. I could. By the way, I want to say, I think Only the Brave is an exception to this. It's actually a pretty good character piece. Okay, yeah, that's the one I, 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 I know you haven't seen it. I, I, yeah. will, I will go to bat for it. I know like, it's with, actually not with, a badly made Same with Tron. You know, there's a lot of yeah. really yeah. interesting visual stuff in that a lot movie. Of, a lot of interesting I think concepts. This, I think, yeah, 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 they introduce a lot of ideas and then just sort of like sneeze them all over your face. Uh, I don't think he's a particularly humane yeah. filmmaker. Not that he's inhuman, yeah. but I don't so, think he's as interested in the human experience. Think, and as a result, a lot of the stuff about like, yeah. oh, we're overcoming our trauma and shit. I'm like, no, I don't think that's what you're interested in. I think you're interested in the big ideas. And I don't think the big ideas are very focused. Yeah, I, I think uh, Miles Teller and the other characters were 
uh, the, the sort of the human phase of this. I think mm. Chris Hemsworth, or Chris Hemsworth was the uh, sort of entrepreneurial tech billionaire villain mm. that has been born of a generation of that thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I've, and I found the twist not to be so interesting, but a lot of the interactions between the characters to be interesting because I find the Chris Hemsworth character so interesting. I, I think what would have sold it better is if maybe if you're if you were going for what you're going for. Let's mm. assume that for a second. You're talking about, you compare it to the guy, the American Peril guy, whose name I don't remember and I don't care to. Hmm. Uh, people believed in that guy. They followed him. And there's one character in the movie who does seem to have this sort of hero worship album, but by the time we're introduced to him in the movie, he's a couple of days away from from being over Chris Hemsworth's shit. Yeah. If all of these criminals were like really grateful to him and like, hey, thank you for imprisoning us in a better way. And like, actually like, it seems a little bit more utopian and then we realize how dystopian it was. That might have been a stronger play, but even uh, from the beginning, I don't, that's my point is, I just think it's all le- one I note. I think it's less interesting. I think it's all one note though. All right. I, that's my thing. I think if we had actually seen the fall from thinking this is great to falling mm. apart, that would have been stronger. But anyway, we're, we've talked about it for a very long time. Let's move on. Uh, tell me about, I didn't get to see it, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Okay, uh, I will tell you about Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Please do. Uh, this was written and directed by Cooper Rafe. It stars Cooper Rafe. Okay. And uh, it's about... This is a movie uh, very aggressively about <laughs> the post-college malaise. Okay. Um, he, uh, the main character is 22 years old. Hmm. Uh, and he is still living with his parents. He's still sharing a room with his little brother. Mm. Uh, his mom is played by Leslie Mann. His stepfather is played by Brad Garrett. He kind of resents that he's still living with his stepfather in that teenage sort of way. And it's he's entering that phase where he realizes that a lot of you know his education and his hard work has gotten him nothing, mm. which is a common post-college experience. You don't... A lot of people don't bound out of college directly into the career of their choice. It's tricky because unless your your college career path has a direct pipeline to where you're going, like you're yeah. going to get an internship well, somewhere, the, uh, you, you de- typically what you find is that all of the skills that allowed you to thrive in an academic environment aren't necessarily what you need to be a competent adult. And there's a period of transition yeah. as you figure out how to live, how, thrive, how and, to be and an motivate adult. yourself so, um, now. Yeah. So he lives at uh, or he lives at home. He works at this. Um, Mm. Uh, he's working a minimum wage job at a fast food restaurant. Uh, his mom asks him to go to a uh, bar mitzvah at one point. Mm. He sees some things at the bar. He sees a lot of people just sort of sulking at the bar mitzvah, and he takes it upon himself to essentially take control of the room and like get people up and dancing and making sure the kids are okay and actually like doing some good things like making sure a kid isn't being bullied by some other kids at the at the bar mitzvah. Mm. Uh, he is asked by all of the moms to do that for a living. Hmm. Can you be, uh, like, the party host? Uh, and this actually, like, taps into something we see in an introduction that when he was young, when he was, like, maybe 13 or so, he fell in love with that party host, this young woman uh, at, like, a bar mitzvah he was going to. Hmm. And he asked her out, he's like, hey, I, I know this is crazy, but I've fallen in love with you tonight, when he's 13. Hmm. It's like, that's really sweet, I'm really flattered, but I'm old. And this starts to play out, this, like, introductory sequence starts to play itself out again when he finds himself falling in love with an older woman again, this time played by Dakota Johnson. She is the mother of an autistic teenage girl who is teased a lot at these sorts of events. Hmm. 
And uh, the movie follows the relationship he has with the teenage daughter. He's actually kind of starting to not be a father to her, but be kind of like a big brother to her. And also trying to ins- insinuate and not insinuate himself into the D- Dakota Johnson's character's life. And mm-hmm. she's already in her 30s. She's ready to, like, she, uh, the father of her child is out of the picture, so she's dating again. And she is starting to sort of come on to this guy. And it's a little bit about the interplay of their relationship, whether or not he's... uh, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not making it sound interesting. Uh, (laughs) I think that this movie has a lot of wheels spinning to do. Mm. There's a lot of scenes of people just sort of hanging out and talking about sort of what they're going through that doesn't seem to be adding up to uh, sort of the larger... uh, larger feelings of the piece. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff with the Leslie Mann character and getting into fights and stopping bullies that, you know, is interesting, but isn't really adding up. The central relationship is kind of what's at the heart of this movie. And I think what it really understands and what it really wanted to put down was that post-college malaise thing. Right. Where you're trying to figure out what being an adult is. And he finds himself repeating a lot of the habits he had when he was much younger. Mm. He fell back on stuff. Yeah. And I think that's very real. I, that I, it's, sounds like I, the kind of indie movie we used to get a lot of in like the 90s. Yeah. You're getting stuff like yeah. Clerks and Swingers. Yeah, and, or it's kind of yeah. tr- trying to, well, or, or the whole uh, Judd Apatow wave. These, um, mm, I feel these, like it's more typically middle-aged, but yeah. But the, the idea of uh, the adult becoming an adult. Somebody who's yeah. already reached adulthood, but they're not behaving like an adult yet. That's what Knocked Up mm. is about. That's what The 40-Year-Old Virgin is about. But, um, my, but that's my point. Is those are yeah. more about midlife crises. You're talking about the quarter-life crisis, which is yeah, a bit yeah. more of a modern, uh, well, maybe not a modern phenomenon, but it's only more recently been talked yeah, about yeah, more. Been, yeah. sort of codified and identified. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like when it's dealing with that, this is really mm. strong. Mm. I think maybe the biggest issue is, and this is probably by design, is that he's not a very interesting person. But I think the idea is he's not a very interesting person yet. Like, he hasn't yeah. developed a but whole that's still a danger, though, when you're like, the so point of your movie is your protagonist yeah. isn't very interesting, but yeah. that maybe that's also a mistake. Right. So That's when, not necessarily when you, a good idea. When you see him longing for Dakota Johnson, it's like, you got something else in your life going on? And he does, yeah. because mm. he's a big brother. And there's actually a few real sweet moments where he's giving his younger brother some pretty good advice on how to approach young women. Yeah. He like has a crush on this girl. It's like, how do I how do I talk to her? I want to have my first kiss. What do yeah. I do? And yeah. he has the little brother's like about twelve. Oh, okay, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's like, well, yeah, I, I I want to hold a hand. I don't want to kiss for the first time. What do I do? And he's actually, you know, there's okay, forty percent is like sort of your attitude. Ten mm. percent is just the physical stuff, like yeah. you make sure, and fifty percent is her. Yeah, like what, and that felt like really good advice. That to is me. good advice. It's like, it's like this is not about you person. doing yeah. something; it's about you it's about actually connecting. The two with of you sharing yeah. something. Half half of it is going to be her coming to you. So yeah. don't don't try to think of you I, taking something from her. Like, I, haven't, I haven't heard the speech, but that's not bad advice. That, that's not bad that's advice. That's and of course, remember. later in the movie, he he goes through some heartbreaks. So he's like, "No, that was bad advice. Don't listen to me." And then reneges again. And yeah. And there's a really sweet moment near the end where sort of he and his brother kind of reconcile. There's a sweet moment where he and his mother reconcile. All of those emotional beats are really good. There's Mm. something not quite all the way there, though. And I think it's because the lead character doesn't have a lot to sort of fall back on in terms of who he is outside of his relationship Mm -hmm. with uh, the people around him. He doesn't he's like Mm. sort of the personality-free protagonist in mm. in, in, in little know, ways that are a little kind of well, difficult it, to define. Is it, is it, because there's, I think there's two different kinds of movies you can do about, um, mm. 
well, anything really. There's uh, uplifting and melancholy. There's yeah. you know good ending, bad ending, or happy ending, sad ending. Yeah. Uh, is is this one of those like upbeat kind of movies where things are going to be more or less okay, and that's the mm. basic message? Uh, well, that, that's you get from the, you understand from the start that he's going to have some sort of minor catharsis by the end. Okay, and move on because, and grow up because that's that's what the movie is about. Because the, the the other version of that, I think maybe the best example of that is The Graduate, which okay. is and also some of those sort of about a guy getting out of college, sort of. Uh, falling prey to a certain, romantic uh, ideas. Uh, yeah. Well, romantic ideas, uh, a certain amount of ambitious lethargy. Like he doesn't right. really, he doesn't actually want to pursue anything right now. He thinks, I, I just got out of college, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he takes kind of like this uh, salacious, uh, uh, romantic affair that's like the path of least resistance. It requires no emotional connection from him in order to have it. And by the end of the movie, there's this big epic moment. But what the movie ends with just sort of like a this doesn't really fulfill anything, yeah, we, does we, it? We like just, this doesn't actually like we just did solve any we needed, problems. We needed something to do in that moment. Yeah, like so. we don't actually like have any answers. We haven't really reached anything. It's just fucking you know, life, huh? Like <laughs> that kind of thing. And I feel like. I feel like sometimes the happy ending for a young person mm. uh, sometimes feels a little insincere because they're young and they haven't necessarily solved yeah. anything well, yet. If they've reached a point where they can start growing. Yeah. And that's that's Cha Cha Real Smith. Okay. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. So you liked it. I, I liked it okay. I liked it okay. okay. It's it's not earth shattering. I think there's a lot of things that I've seen in other indie films. You were talking about films from the nineties. Yeah, yeah. They, they just do a lot of those beats. But I feel this is a common experience for a lot of people who are twenty two, mm. who are have reached a point where uh, they're trying to sort of choose their path, mm. and the 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 idea was supposed to be that college was going to do that for you. I want to say that college, by the way, is not supposed to be necessarily vocational. A lot of people think that that's what it, mm-hmm. higher learning is supposed to be about. It's the thing that puts you into the workplace. That's not it. That's well, it's what, part of it. But it's, it's one not, of many, many things that a college education is not even necessarily the most important part. No, be, college education is about the education. It's about exposing yeah. yourself to the world. In many cases, a lot of people are leaving home for the first time. Yeah, uh, it, it's about figuring out yourself for the first time. Yeah, it's not about getting a job. If yeah. it gets you a job, great. Yeah, and some places require a college education, but a lot of places didn't really matter what you studied. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. and and it's, so this is my way of saying it's okay to study philosophy in yeah. college. It's okay yeah. to be a philosophy major. It's okay yeah. to be an anthropology major. It's okay yeah. to, to write poetry. If you're not uh, going to be happy being an architect or a lawyer or mm-hmm. an accountant, don't do that. It's yeah. a waste of time. Like, it's, you, like, you, 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 there are times in my life where I regret not going into a more financially lucrative hmm. uh, position because here I am. I can't afford to see light year this week. Hmm. On the other hand, I think to myself, yeah, but if I was doing anything else, I'd be really unhappy and it wouldn't hmm. be worth it. Well, and, you know? and I found that out of, about myself. A lot of people know? have very positive college experiences despite whatever they do for a living. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's what I think college ought to be about. It's about giving you the tools to become an adult, not to just get a job. Anyway. That's a mercenary view of college. And, I appreciate that something like Cha Cha Real Smooth, to bring it back around, yes. uh, is about finding adulthood rather than getting a job. Getting yeah. a job is part of that, yeah. but it's not the main part of that. Well, it's about finding maturity and learning a little bit more about yourself. Speaking about finding maturity and learning a little bit more about yourself, there's another remake of Father of the Bride. Another one, number six. Yeah, well, it's not the sixth remake, but it's the third proper remake. No, it's the second remake. Look, there was a movie called Father of the Bride in 1950. It starred Spencer Tracy 
as uh, a man whose daughter, played by a young Elizabeth Taylor, uh, is getting married. It's taken him rather by surprise. And uh, the movie is really sweet. If you've never seen it, it's aged quite nicely because a lot of the problems are very similar mm-hmm. to what we have today, which is why we keep remaking it. Uh, it is about how weddings are tricky. If you're having a big wedding, it's a whole hell of a lot of trouble. It's really complicated. It's not always fun. It's full of a lot of stress. And on top of it all, while you're trying to put on a big hullabaloo, Mm. you're going through a lot of emotional stuff. Much of it positive, but all of it intense. So here's a guy who is just getting used to the idea that his daughter is a grown-up and now is getting used to the idea that she is partnering off with somebody and he's going to see a lot less of her. Mm. And she's making all these decisions that will have nothing to do with him anymore. And while he's very happy for her, it's very melancholic for him. And he doesn't have time to really indulge and engage with all of those feelings. Because, damn it, we also have to find a venue. And we also have to cater and all this kind of stuff. And the original is great. It led to a sequel called Father's Little Dividend about his daughter having a child. Uh, It is also very cute. And then in the 90s, they remade it with Steve Martin and Diane Keaton. And that version is also very good. And I would actually argue is even funnier than the original. It's the same basic story. They really didn't need to change it. It's just a little bit more contemporary. That had a sequel, which is also a remake of Father's Little Dividend called Father of the Bride Part 2. And that is also very cute. In in the original... Father, mm. In Father's Little Dividend. Yeah. Because I've seen Father of the Bride Part 2, the one from 95. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't seen the originals. Yeah. Uh, and in, in Father of the Bride Part 2, mm-hmm. his daughter is now having a child. Yeah. So he, he has to get used to the idea of being a grandfather. But mm-hmm. he uh, his wife is also having a child. Yeah. So he's going to be raising another, another kid while also being a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, all the stress that causes in his life. Yeah, if memory serves in the original, there's only the one baby. I don't think his wife actually is, oh, is okay. pregnant so as well. They're, they're I could be remembering that wrong. It's been a while since I've seen Father's yeah. Little Dividend. But uh, regardless, I, I actually think that that was that they actually made some good decisions in adapting. And I think that this new version, uh, which stars Andy Garcia, uh, actually also adds a nice little dramatic wrinkle. Uh Andy Garcia plays uh, a Cuban uh, immigrant. Uh, He is living a successful life as an architect. Uh, He has two daughters, uh, played by Adria Ariona and Isabella Merced. Great cast. Uh, His wife is played by Gloria Estefan. Hey, I like Gloria Estefan. uh, I see her in movies a lot. It's a shame. She's a really good actor, actually. She's really good in this. Um, So... The plot of the, all the Father of the Brides is their daughter is coming home and she's going to have a big announcement and the announcement is, surprise, I'm getting married to a guy you didn't even know about. Mm. Uh, in Father of the Bride 2022, that night was the night that Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan were planning to tell their kids they were getting a divorce. Oh, all right. So that's the wrinkle. That's the big shift besides, obviously, the uh, major cultural change. Uh, is the drama is actually kind of going in separate directions. Where it's not just about, we had our family and everything's really, really nice, but it's actually our marriage is falling apart, Mm. while our daughter's marriage is actually coming together and it's really healthy. That's pretty clever. It's simple, Mm. but it adds a lot to it. And there's a lot of really wonderful scenes with Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan, like they're driving to their in-laws' 
yacht because it turns out they're incredibly wealthy and it makes Andy Garcia, who's already very successful, like really insecure. Um, but they're like they're driving there and they're laying out ground rules because they still haven't told anyone yet. The daughters, they're about to, we have a big announcement, but I have a big announcement too. I'm getting married. What was your big announcement? We'll tell you later. Like they, they want to yeah. wait until after the wedding uh, to reveal it because they don't want to bring everybody down. So they're putting on a facade and they're driving to this party and they're just saying like, okay, what are the ground rules? Do we hold hands? And Larry's was like, yeah, we can hold hands. Can we dance? If we must. Kissing? Hell no. <laughs> like, it's actually like, it's, it's really sad actually, but they're very sweet. Um, Audrey Ariona is really wonderful in this. Isabella Merced uh, plays uh, her younger sister, which is a new character for the film. Uh, and... Uh, she, uh, she gets to uh, design the wedding outfit, which makes this also feel a little bit like that Alan Alden movie, Betsy's Wedding, which is one of my favorites. If you've never seen it, it's great. It's got one of the most amazing casts ever. It's got Alan Alda. It's got Madeline Kahn. It's got Chris, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Mm. It's got Joe Pesci. Uh, Molly Ringwald. Is Molly the Ringwald yeah. and Ali Sheedy. You've got Anthony LaPaglia. You've got Burt Young, Samuel L. Jackson in an early role. Like, it's just a great cast. Um... So yeah, but other than that, this is a pretty straightforward remake of the film. It's it's right. uh, he's getting used to the idea of his daughter growing up, and you know what? Still works. <laughs> still, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. still real human drama in a whimsical setting. Uh, the wedding is still getting out of control, and there's a big disaster that happens towards the end. Still works. And you know what? If you've ever been married or had any other like major event like this. You know shit happens. It's real. It's actually like, it doesn't even feel false. It doesn't feel contrived. It's like, no, something always fucks up. <laughs> There's always something, like it rains, or like the, the fish the... is bad. Something always happens that fucks up. In, in the 1991 version. Yeah. Like, uh... It, it, it snows. It takes place in Los Angeles, and it snows the night before yeah. the wedding. And uh, there's a really great uh, scene of the wedding planner using a hairdryer on the tulips she planted. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I've got to save these tulips. And the, the tulips die. Like, that's yeah. the big tragedy in that movie. Yeah, that's pretty um, good. Father of the Bride and Father of the Bride Part 2 are movies mm. I saw multiple times, and they stress me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. I can't watch those movies. I sympathize. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scene in Father of the Bride Part 1 where Steve Martin is just grocery shopping, and that's where he has his panic attack. Yeah. He just, he's like, why he's... are there a different number of hot dogs and hot dog buns? Mm. I am, he just starts ripping out hot dog buns, and he ends up getting arrested. And it's yeah, like, just... yeah, I get why he did that. Even as a kid, but I got why he did the, that. The entire joke of the movie is, yeah. this wedding is really expensive. Yeah. I have to worry about money, and that's stressing me out. And that's not fodder for comedy for me, that's just fodder for stress. Yeah. A little too relatable to find funny. They, they 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 try to take the this is one of those movies where everyone is pretty affluent. I don't remember how, I feel like Spencer hmm. Tracy was comfortable. I don't remember if he was rich in the original. Yeah, in the but 90s in the, ones they're they're pretty they're pretty well wealthy. Off, he's yeah. he's like runs like a tennis shoe company hmm. and in this one he's a successful architect. And in both in both versions their family uh, they're marrying into is wealthier. Hmm. Uh but um I think this is one of those rare occasions in which making the protagonists reasonably well off actually helps the movie a little bit because it takes the sting off. Okay. It's not like, like he's like, it's not like he's going to like something fails. They're not going to be, they're not going to yeah. lose the house. Okay. You know, it's just not going to be a great wedding or something or, Oh, like you have to sell a car Wouldn't or something. You you know? I'd love to see like, uh, the yeah. Frank Capra version of this where yeah. both families are destitute. But they're pretending they, to be. Or, well, they just, they have to construct a really expensive looking or like a, as lavish a wedding as they can pull off. Mm -hmm. 
So it's about like sort of rallying and getting together the, all of the all of their resources, and that turns out the whole town has to to pitch in. And that, that's cute. That's, there's actually there's actually I'd some, like to see that. There's a fun version of that in Betsy's wedding where uh, Alan Alda's it's, it starts off the same. His daughter's getting married, and he ends up in a bit of a pissing contest with uh, her boyfriend's wealthy family, saying, "I will pay for everything," and uh, he's he's doing okay, but he's not like super rich, and like they're they just keep escalating how big the wedding is supposed to be, and. He ends up turning to his friend, who is a brother-in-law, played by Joe Pesci, uh, who is trying to get into the mob. That's he what? knows a mafia. He's like a lawyer or something, and he's like he's 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 working with a mafioso played by Burt Young, and he's trying to get in good with the mob. That's his vanish. That's his job. That's what he wants to do. And so Alan Alda says, "Okay, so you can get me like a cheap wedding tent because." We need a giant tent, and they're super expensive. And Joe Pesci's just like, I know a guy. And he goes to the mafia. <laughs> and, of course, the mafia, they don't get him a waterproof tent. So when it rains, it starts sagging. <laughs> like, it just starts getting, like, falling on everybody gradually throughout the wedding. And it's really funny. And they finally, these guys just like, well, what do you want for nothing? And Ellen Ellen's like, nothing? I gave him so much money for this. So everyone's just getting screwed on it. Anyway, um, the new father of the bride works as a story. It is not the funniest version of it. Andy Garcia just isn't as funny as Spencer Tracy or Steve Martin, but he's very convincing. And as a result, I think this is a very sweet film that really works and is like, it's a great, they released it on Father's Day. Great choice. Absolutely something to watch with the whole family. Everyone will enjoy it and get something out of it. It's very satisfying. Not Not a sour note in the film, really. It's just not as funny as the other ones. So, there's that. But it works. It's a sweet film. I enjoyed watching it. I'm, I'm glad they made it. it it's a nice film. Mm. Boom. There you go. Anyway, that is it for our main movie reviews. Let's do a quick review roundup on the critically acclaimed scale. Once again, <laughs> we review films on a scale of C- minus to C+, plus, where mm-hmm. uh, C- is below average. We don't recommend that. That's below average. A C is average. Some good. Some bad. Maybe it's just okay, but if you're a big fan of the genre, you'll like it more than other people. It's a C. And a C plus is we genuinely recommend this movie, either because it's quite good or because it's the greatest thing ever or anything in between. Uh, On that note, uh, the 2022 remake of Father of the Bride, very high C. All right. Not so great you have to run out and see it, but if you're looking for something to watch with the whole family, it's a nice watch. You will all have it a good time. Uh, Cha-Cha real smooth. Cha-Cha, also a high C. Uh, That's... There's there's a lot that it's doing right. Uh, it's mm. not earth shattering. It's not uh, terribly complex, but it is relatable if you've yeah. ever been 22. Uh, Spiderhead, I'm gonna give just a, I'm gonna give it a, a C. Okay, it's a comfortable C. It's got some good ideas, not great implementation. I think some of the casting it doesn't work, mm. but it's definitely if you're a fan of 70s type sci-fi, uh, you'll get some some entertainment out of it. But I'm not entirely sure it has enough punch. To really work on the level it's trying to work I, on. I think the satire could be taken a lot uh, further. I think there's uh, just sort of a, a basic story problem with Spiderhead, mm-hmm. but I did like the characters a lot. Yeah, talked plenty about how much I liked the Chris Hemsworth character. I'm going to give it a high C. Okay, it's not it's not grand. If it had followed through, it would have been. I feel like, I feel uh, like if it had been weirder and funkier and mm-hmm. if, like acknowledge that it's not really about all that much, it would have been great. Or if it had been like really heady. And yeah, like actually really pushed 
its big idea, like one or the other, but it's kind of trying to have it both ways, and neither one really, really shines. I do think that Chris Hemsworth is excellent in this movie. I think he's very good. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to get an Oscar nomination for it. Oh, and, no, <laughs> no, he's not. And then lastly, I didn't see Lightyear. Right. Tell me about Lightyear. Lightyear C minus. Uh, oh, you, you, uh, you can skip this one. This is uh, Pixar at, at their least creative. Ouch! Uh, I really is really that their wanna... worst. Because that's mean, not that's, that's this, pretty this low is, for Pixar. This is not a, pretty good. This isn't the kind of film I'm going to be thinking about a lot of. Uh, there's okay. there's not a lot of ideas in here. There's not a lot of interesting design in here. There's not an interesting story in here. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear's not an interesting character. The cat is the best part. The the talk the talking robot cat that can figure out like complex math problems. That's a fun any, joke. Is there any movie in which a talking robot cat wouldn't be the best? I part? suppose not. There's a, yeah. a the cat also it, because it's a robot. It has like yeah. tools. There's a bit where it, like breathes a torch like it has to yeah. light something on fire, and it has a little laser pointer in its mouth that it ends up chasing for one scene. <laughs> okay, that's cute, funny. Cute gags like that that's with the funny. cat. Nothing be outside of the cat <laughs> has oh, any man. kind of cute gags like that. All right. Well, anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with reviews of films like, is, is Elvis this week? Is uh, that El- next week? Elvis is this week. Elvis and the Black Phone. Are Elvis and the Black Phone are the big releases this week. We'll be back with reviews of those two films. And, and others and as maybe well. maybe others besides. Probably others as well. And of course, stick around because we've got We've Got Mail this week. Uh, we're going to catch up to uh, Cancel Too Soon and Critically Reclaimed in the very near future as well. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a lot of exclusive shows, including our show Holy Batman, where we've been reviewing every single installment of the Adam West and Burt Award Batman universe. We have Only the Best, where we've been reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, and in a couple of episodes we'll be talking about Father of the Bride, which was nominated for Best Picture in 1950. So we'll go into more detail about the original there and we'll rewatch it. We also got our show All Our Yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. We've got commentary tracks, trivia nights, a lot of stuff going on over there. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Thank you to everybody who supports the show financially. It means the world to us. Thank you. Our shows would not exist without you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you can't afford uh, to become a patron, we totally get it. Leave us a review. That helps us out. Wherever you find us. A review helps us uh, go up in algorithms and such and get recommended. So mm. thank you to everybody for that. Uh, we can also uh, contact us via email. If you have any questions, concerns, critiques of our critiques, we might read them on an upcoming episode of our podcast. We've got mail. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box. If that's your bag, Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Uh, it is Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90006. We are on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And never forget. Oh, I forgot. Everyone's a critic. There you go. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?